Good evening, everyone. How are we doing? This is, um, I'm going to break that for sure, but uh, we'll see how this goes. So um, <clears throat> good to be with you all again tonight as we get ready to look to see what uh, God has for us tonight with regard to uh, this area of, of relationships and what uh, God has for us, the purpose that he's given us. Um, how many of you remember, what is, what is our purpose? What are we trying to do through our relationships is to do what? Remember? Somebody over here? Make God look good. Okay, that's what our, our uh, tonight was a pop quiz. Okay, so I'll let you off with that one. But, uh, but uh, uh, tomorrow night, you know, it's going to be a, a, a real, real test. So uh, make sure you're, you're paying attention. But we, we want to make God look good. We want people to be able to see uh, a picture of who God is, that reflection uh, of who God is when, when they see us and how we function together. And so, uh, so we've, got a, we've got an important, important responsibility and, and, and a great privilege to be able to do that. So uh, let's, um, um, well, be, before we kind of dive into the message, uh, I, I just kind of want to, again, talk about what we've been talking. One of the things is that, that, that God has made us, each and every one of us, different and unique. And, and he uses those, those differences. And we've talked about, you know, men and women are different. And it's, you know, it's kind of a... You know, it, it, you know, it's kind of a, a known fact that, that women tend to outlive men. And so I was kind of, you know, thinking through that and, and uh, I came across some, uh, some evidences, what, some of the reasons why uh, women live longer than men. And uh, it's because, <laughs> you know, men are more creative about how we do things. So, uh, I mean, this is just, uh, you know, practical way. This one's just my favorite. <laughs> I love the, I love the combination of alcohol and firearms. That's a, that's a great, uh, yeah. You know, some guys, they, you know, they, they leave and go on vacation. They go on these hunting trips, you know, and leave. The, this guy's staying at home. He's being a family guy anyway. Uh, and, then, and then there's this guy. I think this guy was outside your church. I think I saw uh, somebody out there doing that. But anyway, uh, here's, here's, here's the thing is every guy in here is thinking, well, that makes sense, you know. Uh, so... That's just, uh, again, God has made us different, and, uh, and he's done that on purpose, but he has a reason for that, and, and we want to, um, we want to um, celebrate those differences, we want to uh, embrace those things, but we also want to learn uh, how we can work together and incorporate those things uh, to, so we can accomplish this purpose that God's given us. So let's, let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to dive into tonight's session. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for... Um, again, just uh, the privilege of being together uh, in, in this place and um, uh, boldly and openly um, uh, speaking the name of, of Jesus. And, and think about as many problems and issues and difficulties as we have in our country. And, and there's a lot, God. We're, we're a mess and we need you. And, and these, these last days have, have only um, proven to, to um, accentuate that. But God, we still have incredible privileges that, that brothers and sisters around the world can't. They can't gather like this. They can't express your name. And, and so God, help us not to take that for granted. And then God, help us to steward that as we come together tonight. Uh, open your word. Listen to what your spirit has to say. And would, you, would you give us ears to hear? God, would you give us hearts that desire to obey? We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we talked last night about, about a purpose. Tonight we want to talk about um, how we go about this. What are, what's the, 
what's you know the first step in the process uh, of making God look good? And um, one of my favorite books of the Bible is um, the Gospel of John. When I first got serious about following uh, Jesus. Um, somebody told me to read the Gospel of John and read through it slowly and just look at Jesus' life and see why Jesus did some of the things he did. And, and it just opened my eyes up to, to who Christ was in a, in a new way. And, um, and, uh, and so I just, I love John's Gospel. And one of the things that's, that's interesting is the last, about the last third of John's Gospel is dedicated to the last week of Jesus' life. Just the, those last days on earth. And so, so John really wanted to give some emphasis to, to those days and some of the things that Jesus did and said. And one of the most significant things that Jesus says is in uh, um, chapter 13. And he says this, he says, there's one identifying characteristic by which everyone will know that you're my follower. Okay? It's, it, it's, it's not the places you go or don't go. It's not the words you say or don't say. It's not how you cut your hair or the clothes you wear. One thing that will define you is my disciple, and that is if you love one another. And so tonight we want to talk about what it looks like to love one another as, as Jesus wanted to, uh, wanted, wants us to. And so what, what does that mean? I, I remember when, um, when Lori and I, you know, first got married, and I was really thinking through this. You know, Ephesians tells us, as husbands, that we're to love our wives the way Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so, so I was pondering, what, is, what does that look like? What does that mean? And, and I thought about Jesus' words where he says, greater love has no one than this, than he who lays down his life for another. And so, so I was just thinking through, okay, so, so if, if Lori were ever in a, a life-threatening situation, all right, you know, a bus is coming down the street, why is it always a bus? Anyway, I don't know. But, um, uh, but the, you know, I would, I would dive in front and push her out of the way, and, and I would take that. I, I would take a bullet for my wife, okay? And I really tried to put myself in those scenarios and think through that. And, and, I, and I, really, I really, you know, thought through, yes, I, I, that's the kind of love I'd have for my wife. I would, I would lay down my life for her. But until one of those situations arises, it's pretty much just all about me, right? I mean, isn't that what this whole thing, and it's kind of how I, I viewed things. But then I was reading this passage in Philippians chapter 2. I'd like you to turn there, and um, let's look at this passage of Scripture. Now, Philippians chapter 2 is not a, a passage about marriage, but it is a passage about, uh, about the church and about uh, uh, Paul's desire for, um, for uh, uh, unity and, and oneness. <clears throat> and um, so I, I want to look at this. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 3. The Apostle Paul instructs us, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I started reading through that, and I realized, you know, there's this kind of, two sides to a, to a coin here. The, the one side is, is this, the incredible, unbelievable love that Jesus showed for us. 
the love that God has for us, that Jesus would, would, would uh, lay aside his life in this way. And then I started to understand that, that that's, when it says that, that Jesus loved his, wants, us, wants me to love my wife the way he loved the church and laid down his life, it's not just about laying down my life in death. It's about laying down my life every day. The choices that I make on a daily basis. And so, so I want to look at this passage tonight. I think there's four things that we can see in here that give us some, uh, some um, handles on what it means to love one another, how, how this should look. Um, if you want to turn to page 49 in your booklet, you can follow along there. But basically, there's four things we're going to see here. The first thing is this, don't be selfish. How many of you know what, what the opposite of love is? What's the opposite of love? Hate. That's what I always thought too, okay? But I really think that the opposite of love is, is actually selfishness in this sense. Do you know that, that in science, it, it, there, there's really not a, a definition or, or, or terminology for cold. You don't measure cold in, in a room. You measure the amount of heat, okay, or the lack thereof. And, and the less heat in an environment that what we, we say, oh, it's, it's cold. It's colder in there. And it, it's the same thing with, with love. love. Love is about giving. Love is about selflessness. And the more selfishness there is in an environment, in a relationship, whether it's husband, wife, or, or uh, parent, child, or, or even within context of a church, church committee, or, uh, or a, a, a small group, or whatever uh, church function, whatever, the more selfishness there is, the less love there is. And so, so really, if we kind of think of this, that's why Paul starts with, don't be selfish. Uh, and and I'll I tell you what, God uses relationships to reveal how selfish we are. I, I remember when, when, um, when Lori and I were first married, one of the things that just stood out to me was, was just how much I wanted things to myself. And, and I've, you've, you've heard the old, old saying that love is blind. Okay, so I've heard love is blind, but marriage is a real eye-opener. All right? I think that's true on a couple of levels. One is, you know, you know when you're in, couples engaged, we see this with these team members, you know. They, they fall in love, and that other person is just so wonderful and perfect, and they can't do anything wrong. And, and then you get married, and you wake up, and you smell that person's breath. You know, and uh, you see where he leaves his underwear in the floor or whatever, you know, and, and those little annoying things. And, and, and all of a sudden, you know, maybe they're not as perfect as, as I thought before when I had those blinders on. The other thing that I think marriage really reveals to us, opens our eyes up to, is, is our selfishness. And children bring that out even more. And we'll look at this a little bit more in depth here in a second. But the first thing we want, we want to observe is don't be selfish. The next thing that uh, we see in here is, is consider others' interests. Okay? Paul says this. Look, um, look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests in others. I, I don't know about you, but, but I have a difficult time being interested in the things that don't interest me. Uh, it, maybe it's just me, okay? But, but uh, the things that I don't care about. My wife shared with y'all last night that one of the things she loves is shopping. 
Um, it's, she enjoys it. It's like therapeutic for her. I don't get it. She doesn't even have to buy things sometimes, okay? And, and, and so, and, but, but that's just something she enjoys. I, I, you know, it, it drives me crazy. I, 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 love, um, I love outdoors. I like hiking. Um, I went to Laurel Falls uh, a, co- a couple days ago, and, and, um, and that's, it's just, I love getting outdoors. I, you, I can put a 40-pound pack on my back and spend three days on a trail and come back, you know, physically tired, but just invigorated. But man, I get in the mall with my wife, and man, about 10 minutes in, I'm looking for a chair or, you know. One of the greatest inventions is those massage chairs, you know, at the mall where you can sit down, pay five bucks, you know, sit there for 30 minutes. That's great. But here's the deal. There's two ways that I found I I can shop with my wife, okay? The first way looks like this. That doesn't count, okay? That, that doesn't work. My wife wants me to, to be with her, to be engaged, to, to pay attention, to pretend like I care what color the shirt is, you know, uh, whatever it is. And, and if I'm going to really love her, I need to show interest in the things that interest her. Uh, I, I read this article. This was, um, the title of this is Why One Wife Now Chooses to Shop Alone. This letter was sent by a British hypermart to a customer in Oxford says, Dear Mrs. Murray, while we thank you for your valued patronage and use of our store loyalty card, the manager of our store is considering banning you and your family from shopping with us unless your husband stops his antics. Below is a list of just some of the offenses over the past few months, all verified by our surveillance cameras. July 2nd, set all the alarm clocks and housewares to go off at five-minute intervals. August 14th, moved a caution wet floor sign to a carpeted area. October 4th, looked right into the security camera and used it to pick his nose. December 3rd, darted around the store suspiciously, humming the Mission Impossible theme. I can actually see myself doing that one. Um, December 18th, hid in a clothing rack and yelled, pick me, pick me. And December 23rd, went into a fitting room and yelled very loudly, there's no toilet paper in here. <laughs> the caption beneath that said, this guy's a genius. So uh, guys, if you're trying to get out of shopping, you might want to try to employ some of those methods. But, but if your desire is to love, truly love the way Jesus loved, then we need to show interest in, in the things that interest others. And that's not just a marriage situation, that's a, with our coworkers, and, and again, with people in this church and taking time and listening and asking questions. Um, there's, a, there's a verse, there's, there's certain verses in Scripture I don't like very much. This is one of them. In, uh, in 1 Peter, it says to men, as husbands, we are to live with our wives in an understanding way. I heard Chuck Swindoll on the radio years ago, and he said this. He said, nowhere else in Scripture... Are wives instructed to live with their husbands in an understanding way? God has given us men the responsibility of understanding our wives, knowing the things that they are interested in and they care about. It, it's, it tends to come naturally for women. Okay, that's why when we come home from work, they ask us questions like, "How was your day? What are you thinking?" You know, guys, we don't ask each other that because we don't care. But, but with, as women, it's, it's, in, it's built into them. And so, guys, we, something we have to work on is, is understanding, asking questions, and then, and then uh, showing interest and care for the things that interest others. 
The next thing in this, in this next step in this process is I need to yield my rights. Look at what it says here of Jesus. Verse six, who though he was in the form of God, Jesus was and is God, deserves every right, every privilege, every honor due to God. Even though Jesus had all of this and deserved all of it and could claim it all as his right, it says this, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't, he didn't say, hey, these th- I deserve these things and I'm going to hang on to them. What did he do? He emptied himself. If I'm going to love others around me and demonstrate the love of Christ, I've got to be willing to yield my rights. The things that, that I think that I deserve, and we live in a world that is consumed with, get what you deserve. You deserve a break today. And, and it's all about these things you've worked on. We, even as Christians, we talk about standing up for our rights. Well, I look at Jesus' life and I see something different. So what does it mean? How do I, how do I yield my rights? So I think there's, there's several things that, um, that I think we can, you know, several categories here. I can yield my rights to be understood That verse I just talked about that I said I don't like very much. One of the reasons why I don't like that is because I want to be understood. And there's times when uh, Lori and I or or a co-worker and I are having a disagreement, a a difference of of opinion or perspective. And and I know in my mind and my heart, if you just stop for just a minute and listen and let me explain and hear what I have to say, everything will be resolved. And yet so often, God is saying, Jimmy, you need to yield your right to be understood and seek to understand. Seek to know where somebody else is coming from. Yield my right to privacy. Yield my right to my schedule. goes along with that. I need to yield my right to defend myself. I, I remember years ago, I came across a proverb, and I think it's um, uh, Proverbs 13, where it says, uh, only by pride comes contention. And I started to recognize, get into an argument with somebody in a contentious situation. And, and, you, and you know what was at the root of it? It wasn't about the topic. It wasn't about the, the issue. So often it was just about me not being willing to yield my right to defend. And, and so often I, I get so frustrated when I am misinterpreted, misquoted, misrepresented. Somebody says, well, you said this. And I want to go, I'll tell, I'll tell you why I didn't say that. And I, I, go, I go, sometimes I go into what Lori, Lori calls lawyer mode. Okay, and I want to, I want to explain and tell and call in witnesses and, and all of this just to make sure that, that she knows that, that, that I'm right. And I've got to yield my right to defend myself. Yield my, yield my right to be forgiven. need to yield my right to be appreciated. You ever do something around the church? You know, uh, serve in some capacity, be a part of something, and, and maybe everybody else gets recognized except you? Are you willing to say, you know what, God? That's okay. You saw what I did. You know what I said. You know the truth, and I know the truth. 
And someday you'll vindicate me and that'll be okay. And, and, and to, to be willing to say, God, if nobody ever appreciates what I do except for you, I'm okay with that. I need to yield my right to my expectations. I think the number one source of conflict in relationships is unmet expectations. I, I say something or do something for someone and I expect them to respond in a certain way and they don't. And I get my feelings hurt. Uh, 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 you know, uh, it, it goes on and on. But, but having expectations, and we live in a 50-50 world, okay? We're, our, our culture, again, tells us that the relationships are about, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll give, it will, it's a give and take relationship. And yet you look here at what Jesus did. What, what did Jesus get out of this? What does he get out of this relationship? Jesus just gave. God loved the world so much that he gave. And, and I, I want to demonstrate that to the rest of the world. It's not about a 50-50 relationship. It's about 100% and giving everything. I need to hold my right to things. <clears throat> I remember I learned this lesson early on when I had kids and, you know, they'd take a rock and run it down the side of my car you know, and I, and I would just, I just, bo- and I was like, you know what? It's a thing. It, I drive, I live in Michigan. It's going to rust in a year and a half anyway. What am I, why, why do I worry about that? Uh, yield my right to independence. Yield my right to control. This can be a difficult one for some of us. I need to yield my right to friends. And last, last thing is I need to yield my right to quit. Jesus could have quit. I think one of the most incredible things is when Jesus was on the cross and he was being tortured physically, but verbally, people saying to him, hey, if if you're really God, why don't you come down off the cross? If if that had been me, I'd have been off the cross going, okay, here I am. What are you going to, you know? Jesus could at any time have said, you know what, It's it's not worth it. These people don't care. They don't understand. They, they, they don't get it. I quit. And yet he stayed in it and stayed faithful. And I, I want to be that way. Um, a couple of years ago, we had a, a guy on our team. He traveled with us for a couple of years. And one of my, one of my roles here is to, um, is to disciple and, and mentor the, the team members that we travel with. And, and uh, I, I love it. It's one of my favorite things I do. But, but this one particular guy... I'd poured into him, I'd, I'd counseled, we'd shared, I'd challenged him, and for two years, he just didn't get it. And at the end of the, the, you know, kind of end of his last year on the road, I sat down with him and I said, you know what? You know, I, I've done everything I can, but, but you just, you're not getting it, you're not trying, you don't care. And I said, I'm washing my hands of you. And I just, I just stepped back, and we, we finished that road year, and I, I was just like, I, I give up. A couple weeks after we got done traveling, we were back at our camp in Michigan, and God did something in this guy's life and rocked his world and, and shook him and woke him up. And, and he did a total 180. I mean, you could see it in his countenance, his personality, everything just changed. And, and, and he and I talked, and he was so grateful for, for what God was doing. This. And I, 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 I watched him, and God said to me one day, he said, Jimmy, why did you quit? Why'd you give up on him? 
And I was, I was convicted and challenged because, because God didn't quit and doesn't quit and doesn't give up on me. And I need to stay in it with people, even when I don't see uh, progress and, and the process working the way that I want to. Many of you are in relationships right now where you're, you're just ready to say, you know what, I'm done. But I want to challenge you to love like Jesus loves means to yield my right even to quit and give up. The last thing in this process is this, is to be a servant. Jesus emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. In Matthew 20, Jesus says this. He says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. I, I came to, to put my, my life aside. Again, if anybody ever in the history of the world deserved to be served, to be praised, to have every accolade and every right and privilege, it was Jesus. And yet, he, he laid all of that aside and served. And, and, and here's the thing to remember too. The people that he was serving, those guys whose feet he washed in just a few short hours, they were going to deny him, they were going to desert him, and they were going to betray him. And he served them anyway. It wasn't about whether or not they, they deserved it. And if I'm going to love others the way Christ loved, loved and loves me, if I'm going to demonstrate that to others, then I need to be willing to serve other people even if they don't deserve it or I don't feel like they deserve it. <clears throat> A few years ago, I was, um, we were back at our camp in Michigan, and a friend of mine was over at, uh, at our house, and we were talking about some stuff with at some of the team members over asking some questions. And he was telling a, a story about when he first started in ministry. And he said, he said uh, his, his grandfather uh, was, had been an evangelist. His grandfather was, was in his 90s at the time. And so he said, I went and talked to my grandfather. And I said, he said Grandpa, what's, what's one piece of advice you would give me as I'm starting into ministry? And he said, my grandpa's eyes welled up with tears. And he said, if I had to do it all over again, I would memorize 1 Corinthians 13, and I would quote that to myself every day. Because that, that passage talks about what love is. It, it, it says this. It says, if, if, I had, if I had faith that could move mountains, if I, if I could speak like an angel, if I gave everything I had to the poor, but I didn't love other people, none of that matters. All those are good things, but if I don't love others in the process, and, and my friend's grandpa said, I, I've missed it. I've done ministry all these years, and I've missed it. And, and I listened to him telling that, and I said, you know what? I'm going to do that. I want, I want that to be characteristic of my life. Those, those middle verses there, verses 4 through 8, that talk about what love is, it defines that. And so I started memorizing that, that passage. And... Um, and as, I, as I, was, I was getting into that, I was, I was reading a book, and the author said this, said, whenever you read those, you know, uh, those words in there, and you see the word love, substitute your name. Okay, so it says, it says, love is patient and kind. Jimmy is patient and kind. See, if, if God is love, that's who he is, and I'm supposed to emulate and imitate him, then, then that should be characteristic of who I am. So, so Jimmy is not um, jealous or boastful or proud or rude. He's not irritable and, and so on. 
So I, so I started doing that. I started memorizing that, substituting my name in there and trying to make that a part of, of who I was. And uh, I remember a few days uh, later, we, we'd gone to the grocery store as a family and we were on our way back and, and, uh, and, and Lori looked over and said something to me and it, it just ticked me off. I don't remember what she said, but she was wrong. Okay, that's the important part. Um, and so, so, but, but I, didn't, I didn't respond. I didn't defend myself. I didn't lash out. I just, I did the good godly thing and gave her the silent treatment, right? Because that's, uh, that's better than the other. So, so you know, we're driving on and, 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 you know, a minute later she goes, so is this how you're going to be all night? And I'm thinking, this is how I'm going to be. I didn't start this, you know, you, but I didn't say it, you know, I was being the, you know, taking a high road and, and, but I'm sure it was all over my face because I don't hide things very well. But so, so we drive on home in silence and I'm just inside, I'm just fuming and we got home and I'm just like unloading groceries and throwing things in the fridge. And, and I, and I, I heard, it's like the Holy Spirit brought back the words to me and said, Jimmy is patient and kind. And I said, shoot. Because <laughs> it didn't matter what Lori said. That was, that was inconsequential. What was important was I wasn't loving her the way Christ loves the church, the way Christ loves me. I wasn't, I wasn't demonstrating what that passage is about, the heart and the essence of that. I wasn't living out this passage in Philippians the way God wants me to. And, and that's the challenge before us tonight. So, so here's, what, here's where your homework is tonight, okay? We're going to take the, the passage there, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. Write those out and substitute your name wherever you see the word love. And then put that... Put that card somewhere where, where you can see it. Stick it in your Bible where you're going to read it tomorrow morning. Put it on your, uh, your refrigerator, your mirror. And, and let's just, over the next uh, few days, uh, let, let's say the next 30 days, try to review that and work on memorizing that, making that a part of, uh, of who we are. And um, that's going to be our, our challenge so that we can go about this process of making God look good in our relationships. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll go on with the rest of the service.